be back. Harry, I just love you for being like on top of shit and always here for us. DJ Specialty. Love the support. Hope, hope all is well with you and your family. We're waiting for Chris to jump back in. We're going to continue this conversation and continue unpacking um, everything that we have been feeling and witnessing uh, over the course of the last couple months, honestly, because we, we have to look back all the way to Ahmaud Arbery to... Uh, that is Coach Seltzer to me. I am so sorry, Coach. <laughs> it, is, it is great to see you. And here's Chris. So Chris can also say hi in a second when we get him back in. So where were we? Yeah, you saw that comment, right? Coach Cheddar Bob. <laughs> Thanks, Coach, man. That means a lot, honestly. All right. So where were we? We were speaking on, uh, man, that, that, that minute break went fast, man. Uh, uh, spe we were speaking on the fact that, uh, well, we were talking about the police video. Mm -hmm. or the video of the police on George Floyd. And we were talking about really generally about reform of the, uh, of the justice system and things that need to be reformed because we had, you know, we had, we had the thought of, okay, so these four policemen have been arrested. Fantastic. How's this trial going to go? Because if if you if you watch any crime documentary ever, you know all of the political bullshit and racism and prejudice that goes into a courtroom. Right. Especially when there's a police officer on the stand. For some that be and and when we got to talk about one jury tampering, you can talk about how the juries are actually selected which is huge, you know, and you get this, you get this like perfect mixture of bullshit that can ruin something like this. Um, most notably is the fact that the prosecutors are, are, you know, the state prosecutors and they work directly with the officers so a lot of times you might have, you know, a prosecutor or at least a prosecutor from an office that works so closely with these police, they know each other on a personal level even. Right. And how is that right? And they work with police to prosecute people. So how does that work? Because, you know, the dynamic of this kind of situation I just am very skeptical of how this is going to turn out is what I'm getting to. I don't know what you're feeling on that is, but I'm very skeptical. Oh, yeah. I, I won't feel rested until I hear a guilty charge. And I'm not sure I'm going to hear a guilty charge. Like, I, I honestly keep replaying the L.A. riots. Um, something 
just feels too connected to me at the moment. We have seen this time and time again. And, you know, we're still fighting the, we're, we're looking at Ahmad Avery, Arbery. We're looking at Brianna Taylor. Like there's too much, it's not even too much. There's so much going on right now. And we're trying to hold everybody accountable for everything across the line across the board and this is why it, it's such a demand and it's always been a demand but I think it's been such a demand lately on a complete police reform right because it's just like what does that look like because you have plenty of the issue is the issue is the diversity across the po police force across the country isn't that fantastic and you have, it's kind of the it's kind of like a microcosm of the country itself in terms of the government, where you have, you know, this this offshoot of, you know, the police were founded upon not protecting and serving; they were founded upon catching slaves. So you have that as your your foundation, and all of the people that were these original police officers were that, right? So you have that. So this country is, you know, throughout history, it's kind of been like, you know, the good old boys club after good old boys club was kind of passing down the power. And you have that in the police force as well. In a lot of places, at least a lot of big cities, and a lot of small rural places that just had like a sheriff. Um, so, you know, how do you combat that? Because it's one thing to say, we're now going to be doing this. It's another to actually make it happen and get people in, into law enforcement in this new paradigm that are actually there to actually protect and serve. Right. So, like, what does that look like? You know, like, what, you know, what kind of situation would it be where we have a police force that is actually out to protect everyone, to protect the people that need the most protection? which is usually the people that are the most vulnerable to the police. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know if there's an answer, an easy answer for that. I, um, there's definitely demands out there that are, are being spoken about. Uh, I know there's a demand to turn police departments to a not-for-profit, you know, to make sure that there's, I, I'm not, I'm not using the correct verbiage, but I, I think it's even evident in terms of through the past couple of years, you, you talk about different types of offenses that used to be, uh, we caught you, but we're going to like, Hey, don't do this again. Like go because those, those processes and those procedures weren't meant to bring in revenue. And mm -hmm. they're, they're no longer being a, it's no longer about serving the community more as it is it's about, about making money. funding. Right. It's, it's about making money. 
Right. So that's, so that's issue number that's one. Where, that's where, especially when in terms of something that hits a lot of, a, a lot of people um, more widespread is like traffic violations and things like that, like quick money-making type things. Yeah. Um, meeting quotas. Meeting quotas. Uh, you know, I, I think that's, a, I think that's an idea. My, my thing is this. If you look at, say, like one, like a particular municipality and the police force is our public, you know, employees, right? They're employees of the municipality. So they're technically part of the government, right? They're part of, say, the Philadelphia government, or the, you know, the Philadelphia public network as it is, as it were. They're paid by the city. They're employed by the city, just like all the elected officials are of okay. the city. And they're presumably supposed to be, you know, kept in check by that government. So a lot of this is also coming into the local government's corruption that's going on the local government's lack of leadership and weakness towards these types of things i mean we we did just see um was it atlanta's mayor she fired all the police that were involved in that couple getting their tires slashed and Take them getting attacked that was absolutely that brutal was complete bullshit yeah that was just uncomprehensible um it's atlanta in itself during this has been very interesting to watch very interesting to see how uh mayor bottoms uh has been handling the situation i know she has been very livid uh about how her city has been handling it and that's been a conversation too on multiple fronts on importance to people looting and 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 causing destruction, of which some is very, uh, it's, it's incited by these alternative extreme groups to, to decredit the movement, the protesters, the movement. Yeah. Um, and, and that's not to say that there aren't people who aren't doing it outside of those alt-right or extreme uh, organizations to which I will always say I the amount of frustration that is being felt the amount of pain the years and years I mean hundreds of years that this shit has been going on I cannot condemn anybody's reaction I like how how people are reacting to this I cannot tell somebody how to feel and how they initially want to react uh, and to one to say, you know, well, Martin Luther King wouldn't have done it this way, or you know, the the peaceful thing. One, when you have his son saying, quoting him on the, you know, the right, like the right is the yeah. to be unheard. I, and yeah. two, that quote in context, you have to look into a larger part of the speech to what he said. He still condemned violent, like protesting or whatever, but he said he understood. Yeah, exactly. And I think that gets to a point of just like philosophical, what's going to help us better? 
that's literally what it came down to. It oh, wasn't. Sorry. T411? The woman cop that checked everybody? The black woman cop that checked everybody? Did you see that video? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I did see that. Yo, love to her. She that was fantastic because there's actual, that's actual visible accountability. And that's great. But she's one person. She is. And. No, when I say props to her, because I can't oh yeah, imagine her, what that looks like in that, in that, like, vacuum. Props to her. I'm not, like, saying, okay, it's all good now. Oh, yeah. No, no. I don't. I don't I'm just trying. I'm just, like, thinking of, like, the broader picture. Like, you know. A lot of like a lot of these videos of like oh these these cops you know they kneeled in solidarity and then like a lot of people you know if you scroll through a couple comments it's like bullshit they did that and then 15 minutes later they were pressing everyone to get the fuck out of here so I think there's a lot of so social media is a lot of like bits and pieces and quick quick you know capture this moment type of thing. But on the other end of that, it's also they were showing the New York City SUV plowing into protesters way before the the news outlets were. And not just because, oh, well, they're there and they can post right away. No, because CNN has their eye on everything. Fox has their eye on everything. MSNBC has their eyes on everything. They can post that. All of those places, they know what happens well before anyone else besides the people who were there with them watching it happen. They know. It's just whether they're going to want to report it and how are they going to try to frame it. Right. You know, MSNBC is going to try their best to frame it in a liberal sense. Fox News is going to try to add, like, a Christian racial angle to it. And, you know, CNN is kind of, like, sort of in the middle of it, of that political. They're they're leaning left. They're leaning left. But sometimes some of the shit they be saying. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, We got distracted from what we were initially talking about. I think we were discussing accountability, what that looks like. I don't yeah. take away from that. I don't, well, yeah. And I think Harry's point about about it is very poignant here in that what that one what that female cop did, you know, in a lot of senses, something like that is going to be taken as either you're losing your job mm-hmm. over over doing something like that, or you're going to be basically forced out you know, where you choose to have to quit um, because of it. And I think that's something to be said. It's not easy for a cop to come out and, you know, speak out and physically stop people from doing these things or stop their, their coworkers from doing these things. You know, it's, we're not saying it's easy, but we are saying it's the right thing to do. Right. And I think that that's a good point is when I look at these organizations, when, yeah, when when I look at these organizations that are putting the black squares up or saying that we support you and everything like that, this is a moment to kind of step up 
in regards to police officers. Police officers that step up and say, system needs to change or to hand their badge in and say, I cannot be a part of this. That's part of a movement. That's part of a very significant movement for officers to kind of say, until this change is done. Um, I, I think that's, that's one way to support is, is to be like, okay, for our officers who, who go against are either fired or walk away from the profession here's something we can do for you guys as well. Because there needs to be a lot of support into black businesses and black people in the black communities. I, I think that's very important. But while we're also asking for people to take very brave steps to be ostracized, because that I think has been one of the many reasons people never, that they're ha not never, but there's been a slow change in things because of the fear of what that looks like. And to be outed, you spent your whole life to get to a point and now you don't have training for anything else. How do you put training programs for former officers who were let go for reasons because of they stuck up for the community, they stuck up for Black Lives Matter, they decided to put their badges away. How, what does that support look like? And again, I'm not here to say Blue Lives Matter. I'm not here to be in, in that kind of support, but I will at least acknowledge that that fear is very real to lose your job. Everyone is very scared to lose their job for some reason. Like, not for some reason. There are people that are scared to lose their jobs for speaking out for what they believe in. And to take a very brave step and to do that and to have nobody there for you in that capacity, I think this is one way you show support for Black Lives Matter. And this is just a hot take off the moment. I haven't put thought into it and I haven't read, but that's just my take. Yeah, I will say this. I will say whether you want to argue for or against that premise, like the fact remains, people aren't as strong as there are people that are very strong, right? And we give them credit for it. But to the normal person, you know, sometimes we're ask we're asking someone to do something grand to them you know what i mean mm -hmm. like if you haven't lived the life of a person of color in this country there are experiences and trials and tribulations you just don't know about and you don't and you can't have experienced or kind of you don't have any text um, context to them and it's extremely difficult to put context to something you haven't experienced. So whether you agree with them being scared to come out, you know, as, as like, this is a selfish thing, I'm scared to lose my job, or I'm scared of the ridicule, mm -hmm. the, fact, the fact remains that that actually happens. Yeah. So now it's, my thought of it is, how do we play the game? So how I like to your point for for those that might not think that your point is a good one in in the sense of like you know yeah they're scared but fuck them they need to not be scared right I mean at the end of the day what what the conversation is a job or a life you know um, right but what I'm saying what what I'm saying is regardless regardless of that what what needs to be what needs to be thought about is your point of these people do exist 
how do we get those people to not feel so scared to make the leap? You know what I mean? And so I'm battling, and this is probably one of the most authentic and real, not that we're insincere with any of our other episodes, but this is one of the more authentic and real, like there's not even a inkling of notes here that we're just going yeah. off the cuff. Um, and it, it, this, this thought that just popped in my head could be beneficial, but I can see how it could hurt too. If as a society, we just start looking at it in terms of, to the point being a cop is a choice that is made. You make that choice with knowledge of history that right. and knowledge of police, police brutality that I want to go into this profession. So there's a We're certain ignorant. level of understanding and acknowledgement there and willingness to ignore it. Right. Um, so you do that. However, if you take it on the flip side of things and say that there's a certain knowledge and understanding of that, and now a generation is developed that no longer decides a cop is a profession to be. And you see a decline in applications. You see a decline of actual ability to fill police uh, departments. What does that look like? Well, that's a, that's, a, that's a good question because I think a lot of places in the country are mm -hmm. experiencing that. And unfortunately, what that turns into is, oh, shit, we have left officers, so yep. we have to make ends meet how. That means less accountability. That means fudging a lot of things. That means not helping people that need it because we just don't have the, the officers to do it. And you have... Because there are people who are gung-ho to be police officers for all the wrong reasons. So it becomes an issue of there's already a, a huge disparity in the race of the police in any particular area. So how, how do we get to the point of, you know, I, I, don't, I don't agree with that for the sense of I don't think that the people that are going to see the, like you're going to see a decline in people interested in becoming a police officer. However, it's going to be, there's going to be enough people that are gung ho about, about it for all the wrong reasons to make, to make ends meet for police departments. Like to me, all we're doing is we're losing any kind of sensible people in that force that we have. So if we're going to do, so if there's going to be that decline, there needs to be a way to change that paradigm still. Cause I don't, to me, I don't think that's it. I don't think that is going to break the system enough. I think it's actually going to make the system worse in my mind. No, no, I agree. That's why I brought the question up. Like, my question wasn't saying this is the solution or the or the solution I proposed wasn't the actual solution. It was to 
to just play a scenario out of what could potentially happen if we approach it this way. Um, Black Spear Beer, vetting process and psychological evaluation, a elevated requirement to become an officer. Training should take a lot longer for you to be in this type of situation. The most disturbing part too, though, was, oh, there, there definitely needs to be like a mental health check too. Because again, looking back at the LA riots, and we'll always go back to the LA riots, is listening to the officers who went through this chokehold training and who were saying like, we all knew what it felt like. We had to go through it is concerning to hear someone say, I got choked out to a point where I passed out and I see no issue in the way that we approach this. Well, see, here's the, here's, here's the thing about something like that. There, it, it's a double-edged sword, right? Because you put someone through something so that they know the severity of performing that action, right? Like, it's standard procedure for cops to be tased, right, as part of their training. So they know what that feels like. The thing is, if you do it and you recover from it and you're fine, what are you going to think? Oh, I it's survived. no big deal. They'll be fine. I was fine. It's no big deal. I got through it. They'll get through it. But I got I went through it in an extremely controlled situation. See, but that's the thing. This is where psychological even rational, but even a rational logical person has a hard time understanding that out of out of context. It takes a third party to get it to get that. But that that's part of the process. When we were talking about the third party. Um, and and that's what I think. It, it's it's a huge undertaking. It is a huge Thing to say we need to get involved in changing what the po policing looks like in this nation and that's a whole department of government that might need to be developed into what does this actually look like uh broken window theory that was, was that not new york city was that not the um uh, that was the take on a neighborhood if a broken window existed and like, like there was this huge controversy, it was very close to the, um, it was, what's his face? Who fucking ran Bloomberg. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. He, he operated, I think very close to the broken window theory, if I'm not correct. And it was a huge, uh, Harry might need to jump in. Visible signs of crime, antisocial behavior and civil disorder create an urban, uh, environment that encourages further crime and disorder including serious crimes yes and then harry also mentioned earlier that when the police department was under like investigation or whatever and the enforcement of officers kind of died down that crime also di died down i can specifically remember going into new year's i was down in baltimore and i was listening to the atlanta podcast shout out to the atlanta podcast because they were talking about this specific thing it was, it is such a, uh, such a real talking point. Because I think the guest on that podcast was a graffiti artist. And it was part of that conversation as well. Because at that point, they were just fucking terrorizing the uh, trains in New York City with graffiti. And it was part of that. And um, yeah, no, it, was, it was maddening. If, if you, you have to look into the broken window theory, maybe we do a whole separate 
episode dedicated to the broken window theory because it is a very interesting uh, conversation and study. It, it's yeah, it's interesting. The thing is, like, it it's so inherently flawed. I mean, just on the offset, just on the offset, just to Harry's point. Okay, all the police are so okay. In a tactical situation, let's say like in a war tactical situation, if if you're infiltrating an area, right, and you want to get to a particular place to do something that you're not allowed to do in that area, what would you first try to do? Say that again. If you're trying to infiltrate an area and do something that you're not supposed to do in that area, what would, what do you think your first part of your plan would be? I would think a diversion, right? So what are these small crimes in this paradigm? It's a diversion. You're going to put all your resources and effort into these small petty crimes. And meanwhile, all it's doing is raising the rage of the people in the community, raising the fear of the people in the community, all the while the real people that are bad actors and would have been bad actors anyway, there's less resources to stop them from terrorizing the community. And you'll have other people who are being terrorized by the cops for next to nothing get angry and start attacking people in the community and the cops. Correct. So that's always been my point. I, I think I've always had a approach to crime from a bigger picture vantage point of when you're talking about addressing crime, you can't speak on to these, these little instances of crime or not to demean the, the severity of some of these crimes that happen, but you can't look at every single instance and say, well, if you attack this thing from this way, or if you attack this one from this one, it will discourage this, and then, then you can focus over here. Uh, it's always been about, and I think this is particular to the Black community, is why, do, why does crime exist to begin with in these areas? What has happened over arching and when when i always look look at it it's the guns were put into the communities like how, how do you think the guns got into the communities how do you think the drugs got put into the communities what what part of sectioning these communities off do you did you think like what what was that actually going to incite i i think it's it's a conversation about we look at crime as if the police or the government didn't play a part into creating an environment like that. And it goes back to handcuffs to me for, from Lupe Fiasco. Yeah, great reference. It's you have people that are forced to sell dope. You have people that are like pimp. You know, you, you, got, you got people that are forced into many other options because they are given no other source of opportunity. 
And who did that? You can't point fingers at a Cornell West, a failed social experiment, and blame the social experiment. And, and in this instance, I mean, you can't throw guns, drugs, and all this shit into a one community and then arrest them over it without I identifying the different parts of the structure that played into it. Bill Burr talks about God in the sense of you gave me whores and alcohol and made me bad at math. Of course this was going to derail. You can't blame me. You don't look at a car and you know what I mean? Yeah, I know what you mean. It's like you, you don't give anything like the, you don't give anything the tools for success or you don't give anyone the tools for success yet you expect them to succeed. And now, of course, you have the greats that do succeed, but you don't have the normal people. Everyone else who's just a normal person can succeed, but the, the normal person given nothing put into this type of situation isn't going to succeed. We talked about it with, in the uh, See You Yesterday episode with Neil Degr uh, deGrasse Tyson. And Steph, mm -hmm. we, we, we spoke about that and saying, you know, Neil deGrasse Tyson, look at him. Like, yeah, look at him. There are thousands of other hymns that exist in the world that were never afforded the opportunity. Right. Absolutely. And I think that comes down to, you know, there, there, as Harry said, there, there is a wholesale restructuring, re, you know, that needs to be, that needs to be done. Um, as a very large topic. Yes. Let's let's take a break from this particular route of the conversation. I had mentioned earlier that we wanted to give a shout out to people and we, we, we need to do so. Um, speaking from the NAACP to like the statement that they gave out, I think there's one business that I want to shout out quickly who also released a similar type of statement in terms of they've made their posts on social media and it was long, you know, and this would be crowns and hops. Our mission, I'm, I'm speaking from their post, our mission has never been about creating white comfort. Our mission has never advocated for the concept of assimilating to the majority, the result of assimilation, hegemony. Hegemony. <laughs> is that authentic voices are reduced and dismissed during times of challenging a community to correct itself. Whether you address it or not, Black people have always been in craft beer despite the resistance to deal with racism inside of the communities being served. To be clear, as brewers, as breweries, we are the very community that we serve. We do not speak for every Black person in the craft beer community, nor for all Black people in the country. We are speaking from the perspective of a black man and black woman who own a company that creates space to allow for the freedom of authenticity, especially for the black and brown communities in the industry. We are as much about creating this space for us in craft beer as, our, uh, as we are about protecting it. We do not have the solution for how to not harbor racist philosophy and the supporters of white supremacy within the walls of your business. That is your work. 
Despite the show of solidarity for Black Lives Matter, we know that there is still a fear from many craft breweries that they might lose money and patrons. To that point, you, breweries, have a decision to make. A decision to be accountable to your role in supporting or dismantling systemic racism in your communities. This is not the role of Black people in the country, nor in your taproom. So stop looking to us to guide you. Attention to the depths of Black Americans in this country should not be a second thought for community-based organizations and businesses. If it is, we want nothing to do with you as you do not stand for love, humanity, and the progress of our society. You should also stop using the word community as part of your brand. Today, our focus is on the needs and self-care of Black people. We must support, protect, and fund of all of those who are focused on dismantling systemic racism. Say it. We must create space to plan, strategize, organize, and mobilize the Black community. We are dedicated to this mission. Take action. Be counted and fill out your census today. Register and actually vote. Know who you are voting for. Donate to organizations that are focused on dismantling systemic racism in your country. That Biscuits and Beer said that's the same message I had to give to the guild that I am part of. Yeah, uh, it is. That was such a strong take from them. Again, we we spoke about numbers in terms of black people in the craft beer community versus you know even black brewers or black uh, owned breweries. That stance that craft uh, that Crown and Crowns and Hops put out is as bold, if not bolder, than what we were speaking on in terms of cops turning their badges in. That can immediately make them an outlier in the craft beer community. And that's why that message to me was so strong. I don't know your thoughts, Chris. <laughs> oh, sorry. I thought you were reading and about to hit back, hit back in. Look, you're about to pounce again. No. Um, no, I I agree. You know, and I think it is it is it, it's kind of it's kind of like that, uh, like biscuits and beers saying, you know, it's not our job to, you know, hold their hold these people's hands and lead them through how they're supposed to rationalize putting you know putting black lives before their profits you know y'all figure that out if if you really want to or you lose all of our patronage and that's what it's got to come down to you know what i mean we're not here to hold your hand you know i think it's very it's it's very black and white to me if you truly know and believe what you say you believe. And as Harry said, you're using these buzzwords like community, you know, in your posts and in your social media and, and in any of your statements, you're just using the word community to mean whatever. Usually it just means their patronage, whoever's giving them money. Right. Not actually where they are and what they're doing and that kind of thing. Um, but it, it isn't our job to... Um, 
isn't our job to just like drag them along with us. It's more of a, hey, this is what's happening. You're either with it or you're not, and you're going to lose our support at this point if you don't, you know, go this route or you don't believe in us. Yeah, as Harry said, these, these words like togetherness and unite, you know, I don't I don't think right now is the time to talk about, you know, you know, unity and togetherness is a great thought. However, it's usually used by people who don't want to really deal with the issue. You know, it's it, and, and by people, I mean, people in power. Right. To to go back to what biscuits and beer just said, and they're definitely part of the shout out in terms of, you know, the, the, the black beer community and the cause and what we said we wanted to highlight. So make sure we're going to put show notes together for this whenever I get around to putting this out of all the links to these different organizations that we feel that you should definitely support if it's as simple as following or if it's as simple as visiting, just make sure this is what's going on. Uh, but you brought up this, uh, how many breweries have made beers for the cause, things like that. Um, you're, you're talking about, we were looking at black people, brown people love beer. The uh, Crown, Crowns and Hops made that beer, BL, uh, BPLB, yeah. Uh, hey. the beer. I can't get my hands on it because it's all the way out in LA, LA I believe. Uh, but that was, that was a great beer that was made. Uh, oh no, did I get rid of that news? Where did that go? Ah, here it is. CNN Business. Craft Brewers are releasing a new beer to support racial uh, equality. Uh, what was it? It was down in San Antonio, which I didn't know of at the time when I was down there to see uh, Lonnie play for uh, the Spurs, obviously. Uh, what It was Weathered... Is it Weathered Souls? Weathered Souls. Yeah. They were at... At Weather Souls, they were at Fresh Fest. I'm, I spoke, I spoke to them there. Very good, very good people. They have just released a Black is Beautiful beer. That is, and that that's supposed to go towards this fund, and and that's a very good example of this communal, this community that has always been about supporting Black and Brown people across across the nation, and just had to give a shout out to them, actually. I had seen a post about it and didn't really read up onto it. Someone sent me something too. And uh, Stephen, Stephen, my, my cousin Stephen Thompson, who was on an earlier episode, he sent me the article right before we started. Yeah, Weathered Souls is dope. Yo, I, I don't remember the name of the beer that they had at Fresh Fest, if anyone can remember it, but it was delicious. Word. And, uh, but no, like there, but, but then there's like what biscuits and beer might be mentioning in terms of like the negative, the negative side of that, where there are breweries that are capitalizing off of our culture Ooh, to we'll get push into that real quick. Go ahead. Oh, oh, I'm going to get into it. You get into so, well, there, well, I know about a year ago, I do remember the, uh, that brewery down in Atlanta that made a blood and crypt type beer um and 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 kind of trying to play it play off gang violence to sell their product 
and they came up with this half-assed response to get away from, you know, uh, ridicule and, you know, oh, we're sorry, we're, we stand for this and that and whatever just kind of went on. And I think there's there's a lot of places like that. I know in uh, the Fresh Fest channel on Instagram, they had mentioned uh, a brewery out in, in Cali, I think, that basically their whole model is profiting off of black culture and like sexualizing black culture um, and sexualizing black people and the black is beautiful beer is an imperial stout who's that by Harry if you don't mind is that are you referencing weathered souls there because that, that would be that would be delicious but I, uh, back to the point of um, back to the point of breweries who are using the culture to profit and try to get people in, um, kind of with a flashy name or some flashy artwork or a PR type campaign. Um, you know, I th I think that's where the real where where the real problem of it is is where you have. The breweries, and I and I, I was mentioning the brewery down in Atlanta with the with the blood and crypt thing, um, and of course the one out in Cali, Black Cop. Um, yes, that's yes, that's the name of it. So, you know, you have these types of things where you're prof you're you're making a beer directly to profit or a whole brand directly profit off of us, but what are you actually doing for us? And that was the conversation is. Everybody benefits from black culture. We are the culture. It is what's hip. It is what has always moved culture forward. It is what everyone tries to take. You look at rock and roll and you want to talk about Elvis, but like, like let's talk about Chuck Berry and like, but let, let's look into much more. Everyone is so ingrained with hip hop culture, whether they like to admit it or not. And it, it, it's about having that actual conversation on, you know, you want to be us, but you don't want to, like, acknowledge what it is like to be us. The Black and Beautiful Style collaboration will be released by participating breweries the first week of July. Fucking amazing. Yes. Um, and it's that there, there was a wonderful clip that's, like, circulating right now. And I forget when it's from. And it's this white woman on stage. And it is basically, like asking the crowd, you know, who in this room would say right now that they would be black, essentially, is what, what it is. And nobody, nobody raises, like, nobody stands up and like, oh, come on, guys. And it, like, goes into it. It's like, so you could all acknowledge right now in this room that there is a problem with being black. And it's not being black is the problem. It's how you are treated right for being black right because a lot of people would probably be black for all the positive or perceived positive aspects of it you know mm -hmm. from like a superficial sense yeah and so what harry just said literally all american music has black roots um there's something i want to again this tweet just was so, like so on the nose it's just like um, how are you going to be mad at people for burning what they built for free? Right. Right, exactly. 
Exactly. This country was built by the same people that have become so down, so beaten down. Go, go ahead. Speaking of little Richard, is that who this is supposed to be on my beer? Like, <laughs> I hope not. Please, uh... I, I don't know who this is supposed to be. It feels like it comes from a certain era of music because this feels like uh, what Keith Richards. This feels like Steve Tyler. Not a clue, and I'm very concerned. I don't know what the hell you drinking, but yeah, it's uh, yeah. Thanks for letting us play tonight. Thanks for listening to us tonight, and we are not done. Because <laughs> I want to, I want to give some props. Like I, I, there's, there's a lot of things tonight that I'm still not done talking about. As long as we still want to have this conversation, um, and this is very much the product of us not being able to sit down as often to have these type of conversations that we normally would. But I want to give some shout outs. Let's shout out. I want to give a shout out to Biscuits and Beer because they are always in this uh, comment section. They are always showing up for us. And we definitely appreciate the support. As I said, what we're going to do within the show notes and on the social media after we are done with this episode is we're going to promote every single one of these and encourage everyone to follow and engage with everybody. Uh, Blacks and Black Sprue Beers was on the list of people we wanted to, to shout out as well because they have just offered up so much encouragement, so much feedback, and have been such a positive light in um, really making sure that we continue to do what we are doing here. Uh, we do it for us, but we do it for the whole community because it is so strong and we appreciate your support. The Swig Podcast, which would be... Uh, I think we actually had a conversation with them because that was the black beer experience. So that'd be uh, Shani, Shani G and Kramer Deans. So that would be the black beer experience and the bearded brother. You have the Bergy beer girl, Kiana. Uh, you have Brandon Montgomery for black beers travelers. You have bruising banter. So that's Lou Belgium, Yoda, Devin Aaron, Rob, you have T41, uh, T411411, that's in this in this chat. There's so much more that we could give a shout out to, but these are the yeah. people that we are uh, constantly in communication with and are always pushing the conversation forward. Um, Black, Brews, Black Brew Beers helped us with the Willie Lynch episode, you know, and is always continuing the conversation within the chat. So I just wanted to really give a shout out to those people within the black beer community specifically. Right. I agree. And I think it's, <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I think the black beer community is, is a very good and growing community, very strong, um, very welcoming as we've said before. Um, so, you know, I'm, I, I hope that we continue to grow and shout out to Harry. Shout out, shout out to Harry. Shout out to Randy. You guys are always showing us support. Right. And we really appreciate it because, you know, as we've said before, we're just, we're doing this because we want to do this. And now, we're, and then also, okay, oh, we have a platform. Let's, let's try to use what little platform we have to get that out there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Get our message out there. So, um, 
you know, I, man, this has been therapeutic. <laughs> like I feel, I feel better enough. Obviously it, you know, you can't feel good right now um, from everything that's going on. But, you know, I, th I think, I think there's talk, there's things that are moving forward and there's talks that are being had that can hopefully lead to other places. Um, so it's just looking into, you know, I think for everyone individually, it's what can you use your skills or your platform to do, you know? And I think that's where we're at. And I think, you know, Tyler, you're using our platform. You know, it was your, it was your credentials plus us that got you speaking to speaking on BCTV. You know, you're part of Dear Reading, but as also speaking for us at the um, at the event on Sunday with the uh, you know Dear Reading, um, the town hall. So, you know, I think the most important thing for me to take away from everything is, you know, how can I individually and then us as a collective um, continue to use what we have to support and aid change? You know, that's kind of like, that's kind of what I've been thinking about a lot this week is, you know, how, what can I do and how can I do it? Um and I, I, I think we, we spoke about this earlier, and I know I mentioned finally realizing the, the, the higher level of value to what we're trying to do with gaining representation in the craft beer community is it's when you look, when we say we walk into a craft brewery or craft beer environment and head snap because we're not supposed to be in that environment. That is a metaphorical representation of what we're talking about here on a higher level of, you know, actually I've been meaning to bring this up all night and it's the perfect time to use it in this metaphor. Ian Desmond, Colorado Rockies, released a statement today. And he's half black, half white. And it goes like this. Half black, half white, but never really enough of either. I was Oreo in high school. Kids on my team who chant white power before every game. I've been pulled over for going 71 in a 70. If you don't let me search your vehicle, I'm going to give you a ticket. Easy to say what you would have done. I was a kid. I've heard you're not black so many times. Um, it's almost the norm. When you come to my house and say, what do you do? You must be an athlete. I hear you're black. There's no way you could afford this house. Happened twice last week. I don't know my uncles because they didn't approve of my mom being with a black man. Couldn't point them out in a lineup. All of that to say, when you can't say black lives matter to me, you're saying my life doesn't matter. That's what I hear. And I can't change that. And, and that's, I, I think, the power, or that is the reason we are trying to force a change in the narrative of what it means to be into craft beer. Right. Back Absolutely. Is we get questioned why we are in those 
rooms, why we're in those environments. And it's directly because of what craft beer and the culture of craft beer means. It means usually money of affluence, something upper crusty. There's something, there's something a little more refined about it. And black people aren't viewed in that light. And it's just another example of, you know, it's another example of the systematic oppression of a people to the point where we could walk in without, you know, our, we're not dressed a particularly different way. Most of the time we're dressed better than anyone else in there, depending on where we are. You know, we don't walk with any type of particular, you know, we don't stand a particular way. We, we don't talk. Yeah. It, it, right. Absolutely. It all, it all comes back to the fact that we, but it all comes back down to the fact that we are other. Mm -hmm. and we, are, we are terrifying to the system and the powers that be because of the grave injustice that was done to us for centuries. Right. And I feel like that's, that's true. It's always this fear of, the fear of retali retaliation. And, and for the most part, that's not ever the conversation. Usually it's a fight to be on equal playing field. Right. The issue is there's the thought of, well, if they want an inch, they're going to take a mile. And then there's also the thought of, I kind of like having all this privilege. I don't want to give up any privilege. Well, they don't want to acknowledge that. Right, but subconsciously, that's exactly what they're thinking. Right. So we're coming up on another two minutes here. I could definitely keep going, and I have a list of businesses it might not be the, the official list but it is a list of businesses in the renting area that are black owned that need to be supported i already said a lot of the black beer community that needs to be supported but i i also have this list so i can just run through it quick or we can jump back in yeah let's run through the list okay so scotty butler apparently okay the next step is to support black owned businesses here are some in reading tell me if i missed any so i can so there's Beckett's. Beckett's is the fried chicken joint on 324 and Walnut Street. Uh, you have Custom It on 4th Street, which would be South 4th, I believe. You have the Plug. You have Franklin's Breakfast Burger and Shake Burger. I have not tried that place, and I need to. Um, Davies Auto Service Center. You have STV Stavish. I, I've never known how to actually pronounce it. It's an apparel place. I'll put all the links in there. She makes food, ET Electric. You have Eric E. Key Insurance. You have Law Office of Tanya A. Butler, Grilled and Chill Lounge, and Lex Bales Bonds. There are so many more creatives. There are so many more businesses. There are so many people in Reading that make Reading look good, but that are also just continuously standing out for the city of Reading. Chris, I want to thank you for having this conversation. Everybody that was in this chat, I want to thank you for coming in, supporting, and engaging. And we will be back next week with maybe a little twist. A twist? Yeah, I'm going to call you. <laughs> what a twist? Guys. Peace. Peace.